Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Tim Montgomery. I'm your host today for New Cyber Frontier. And we're continuing down this thread of series for uh, Dr. Borog. Um, I'm sure everybody knows him as one of the other hosts on this podcast. Uh, but he has managed to be, uh, publish his dissertation, finally, uh, after seven years. Um, and... Um, and we can uh, call him the uh, the doctor, I guess. Doc, you know. Uh, my father was a doctor for a while, so uh, he always loved to call Doc all the time. His uh, his doctors was in uh, environmental science and stuff. Um, but welcome back, Dr. Gorog. Um, Thanks, Tim. Always good to talk to you. We 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 cross paths so much, but uh, it's good having a series with you and a couple others we've done here recently. Yeah, and it sounds like you're, you know, you're furthering your, your research. Plug on my shirt here for the block frame ink. Um, put that in there just to make sure we know uh, who's sponsoring this one this round, right, Dr. Brock? <laughs> um, last round, a couple of rounds, we talked, you know, got into different aspects of this. And today, I think our topic of choice is going to be more. Uh, the type of breakdown for mechanisms, uh, primarily about technologies, some of the things around here uh, as you went through the process of deliberating the information to get this dissertation where it is, um, we're getting more into the concepts of what it took to get there, the mechanics, administrative things of that nature. So I think today's topic is more about the uh, issues around technology um, and some of the administrative pieces that you work through. Um, I know we talked about humans and the aspect of other research projects and uh, the ongoing mechanisms behind business and things of that nature. So I don't want to talk solely start with the technology piece today uh, on this front and kind of where um, when you began, what what exactly was going on in that time and what were some of the factors that led you to kind of have to dive deep into the technology to kind of create some of the things you did with this uh, research. You want to start there? Yeah, I mean, it's such a such a big intro as to it's totally clear what you want to talk about. Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, you know, if I, if I went back and started where this journey started currently, um, and a lot of it is, you know, everybody in the industry has seen the same thing. You guys have been with us all the way along. We've been talking about it since the beginning of this journey. And we're looking at, we're in the ninth year of New Cyber Frontier. Um, and some of the, the reasons we started it are the same reasons and, and the ground base work of what led to, you know, trying to find a solution that we could give to everybody at the same time. Uh, we're looking, we, we wanted to hear from everybody. We wanted to understand the problems. We think that this is a bigger problem than than most people are aware of. And, you know, you hear that a lot of times you hear the crying wolf. Oh, as long as nothing has happened, maybe it isn't really a problem. 
and you know the the continuous broadment of everybody talking about cybersecurity is really just over the top crying wolf type of thing and i think we become so immune to it in the industry that we need to have the the final product the solutions start to come out um you know if you look at what what started 10 years ago when when i started looking at this when we come out with new frontier um we'd started really down the path of big data uh and the the direction of big data which entire companies have grown from nothing to huge behemoths in that time with big data and the you know the ability of free we talked about before free range data everybody's producing data they have no way to keep track of it it just gets given away as soon as they make it and the people who have learned to wrangle it to put it together to do something with it to collect it have been able to make companies and sometimes large companies have come to pass in that that time um and when whenever i started uh the 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 um process of and i still keep one of the first posts i did on linkedin which you can read it was literally like 2014 so back right after the the um compromise at uh the the uh, opl which was one of the the first large government agencies to get compromised and it was a game changer at the time now we're kind of used to it, it happens all the time another announcement we, it rolls off our data must be out there so but um at the time there was a fire to go put these put out this problem and um the fire and the things that they brought in to put out the problem caused more problems than they solved because they added the collection of massive amounts of data and the analysis of it which made the the ability for humans to engage with security even more difficult so the the pieces of putting this together were to say well what is the way to start simplifying the discussion and ever since then the whole industry has been about making it more complicated Every three years, a whole new set of compliance, thousands of more applications, more things to look at. Everything's collecting data. So now let's make AI to, to analyze the data, to do something with it. And the, the more data we produce, the more is produced by, by generation engines, by AI, by whatever. And it's exponentially growing. And, you know, does it, you know, my assessment is that it's eventually unsustainable we don't have the ability to control it so what do we do and even lately we say okay let's just put it in the hands of an ai let that solve the problem and tell us what what we should do because we've given up so digital transformation is it's explosive right so the companies that you're referring back to the data and explosion of that data uh is really transform our use of data uh, and and basically how we monitor um create money from it. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of these factors that you apply to uh, some of the the uh, research you've done um, and talk about how the complexities of data is, especially with the understanding when you just said about AI uh, and that out of control method or feasibly on, we're now looking at something even that the AI doesn't, we cannot control that measure either. So it, it, it poses a question of a need, right? So. 
uh, trust and integrity and privacy among the user and user sources. Where where we get our um, character for that information? So, um, yeah, kind of going backwards to say, how do you solve the problem by changing the way people think about it? So, if if that explosion keeps growing and we just embrace it, we might be able to continue to make a lot of money if we have a company data, everybody else's data. At some point, does that does that change? Um, and you know, we talked about the last couple of shows, the empowerment of individual controls. And once that exists, what does this do with this dynamic? But first we had to map it. You said, what does it take to, to look at the problem? You know, instead of trying to wrangle the whole problem and make it, um, you know, map out a compliance effort, keep growing, keep keep adding more systems, keep putting more software on our machines. How can we simplify it to its root pieces and then start to link those root pieces together with trust? So how do we trust and 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 simplify it? And that's been been my approach. But identify what those pieces are um, and then make a scalable approach to managing it. So if we say one side of the industry is working on how to wrangle what's going on right now and the other side is looking at or some people like myself are looking at how do we get ahead of it? How do we make something that is going to be valuable in the future and turn this direction to something controllable? And that's 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 what what we what I did, um, and identifying, you know, first that we needed to have trust, the ability to trust, as we talked about in an earlier show, is out of control when we have millions of people that, that we can connect with instantly online. How do we know who we trust, what we trust, uh, and we've defaulted in the last couple of years to let's just trust the biggest people out there, and. You know, so let's trust in Amazon, right? They can do everything for us. And why do we trust them? Because if they make a mistake, they're just going to give us the, 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 the goods, right? They sent, yeah. I, one time I, I had, I, I was on, on, I bought something, it didn't show up. The tracking number got messed up. I called them and they said, okay, we'll ship another one out. And within a week, I had two of them. And they said, just keep them beef. So they're, they're lost, they're, what what in the in the physical world we allude to like things like theft it's like a certain base you know eight percent they just put in for theft just like taxes on the cost of goods amazon's and that those big companies have given the consumer the benefit in that that base cost appraisal so we've learned to just trust the big people what does that do for us? And I'll tell you, as an author, somebody that has content out on Amazon, you can go and find my books for sale any given time, a hundred of them sometimes, right? And you see them selling and people buying them. And once a month, Amazon might tell me that somebody bought a book and they give me royalties. Uh, and I have no way to question that. I have no recourse. I just have to trust because we've all given our trust to the behemoths because that's the only people we can trust because we can't trust a million people. So being able to now look at the tools for trust 
and find a suitable platform to start with was where my work began. A suitable platform, one that everybody seemed to sign on to and had some promise was distributed ledger. So the initial mechanics of this were to say, let's find something we know people are interested in, something that seems to be given trust. We know we have a problem with trust. We know that can relate to all the other cybersecurity needs. Um, and we know how that relates was the mapping of the first work was to relate trust to cybersecurity capabilities. And that's what you'll find in some of my first publications for this work was those two things, identifying the problems with distributed ledger, identifying the, the need and the magnitude of that scale, and, and mapping trust into different categories that match cybersecurity components. Um, you bring up pretty good topics, something else we can discuss about how, when you're talking about publications, uh, how that's impacted um, at certain levels uh, and how this has a trend for specifics to those types of uh, um, intellectual property components there, um, something we can uh, discuss later in one of the other episodes. Um, the mechanics and pieces of that nature, um, I mean, some of the basic pieces here I think we got into were like the scalability of architecture, right? Um, you talked about the programming, the governance, uh, like the trust, relevance, consensus portions, and distributed letter structure. I think we talked a little bit about that throughout the last couple of shows. Um, uh, integration of the administrative controls and the governance pieces of it. So. I just want to touch base on some of the things like the relevance to the scalable architecture. Uh, and when it pertains to technology, these elements actually, um, the scalability is required. And so discuss a little bit about the ecosystem that evolved from this, um, from those measures. Yeah. So scalability is something that, that always plagues technology. Things work in small numbers, but they often don't scale to large numbers. Uh, and especially with software, because the more components you have managed under your software, the more overhead you have in management that becomes bigger than the components themselves. Um, right. And, and the distribution of it, like the internet is actually a simplistic, very simplistic tool. It is comprised of two components, a, a router and a DNS server. And the routers all just connect together. They're relatively the same, some variances in different products, but they do the same feature and they all just know how to work with other of the same routers. And they reach out if they don't know something or they're missing something for the domain names service, the DNS servers, and say, hey, I don't know where to go with this. Where do I send it? And that's those two things work in Congress together. Um, so it makes for a scalable, simplistic architecture. So with that example, the administrative, you know, looking at what can we do, let's use the example of something holistic and scalable that we know, i.e. the internet, and say, what are the limitations of distributing trust with the tools that we, we looked at, distributed ledger, and how can we map what the, we've done with the internet to make a scalable modular approach and that's that's what that's what we what it took in the the design pieces of it, you know, a pure ledger like a router 
can be scaled infinitely, indefinitely. But then we have to look at the overhead because we have to have trust chaining between everybody in a distributed ledger and verify all the, the transactions made by ledgers that aren't connected. And how do we do that and what type of overhead is required? And how do we minimize that overhead? And how, you know, with the overhead known, calculated, do some models that can scale to large scale and see what it looks like at large scale. And that's the 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 mechanism of the the kind of the my my methods, research methods and proof methods were to design scalable models or models that could scale very large with the timing, with the the amount of data, with the the transactions used and see what they look like down to each individual system in the modular architecture. Yeah, the architecture has limitations across the other uh, types of blockchains that are out there currently. It's just looking about where you found the limitations of those in comparison to the way you're using here in this research. Yeah, so when I st first started looking at blockchain, we almost threw it out. Uh, just the the amount, the magnitude of mismatch of what can be can be done by like a Bitcoin or Ethereum or Hyperledger Fabric or the existing tools out there. And the the need of large scale adoption, we're so far off, we're talking thousands, hundred thousand orders of magnitude difference. It just they would, would not scale. I mean, Bitcoin, which has had a, such an appetite, appetite for globally, um, eight to 10 transactions per second is literally its maximum it can support. And, Visa card does like 20,000 a second. So there's no way that, and that's just one credit card. There's multiple of them out there and multiple physical currencies and other type of payment systems that, that have those large volumes. It's just, there's no way it could, could scale. Um, but then a lot of people said, well, I'll make a cryptocurrency too. And there's literally, you know, five, 6,000 copycat cryptocurrencies out there that are just like or very minor like one or two percent variation from bitcoin from the original one They're all doing the same thing so now the 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 attempt has been to well let's connect them all since we know no one could scale let's just connect them all and make a a way to work between them all uh and that is a basically finding term determined to be a nightmare of keeping compliance with 6,000 different code bases, basically, that are all changing. So as soon as you make a way to interface with two, one of them changes something and, and you're out again. Um, the, the overhead hasn't given much improvement in performance, much interaction, just made you be able to change your tokens from one type of currency to another, which is nice for the people who want to trade tokens and think there's a speculative approach there. But the actual people that want to do large amounts of transactions will say companies that want to put their supply chain and monitor the supply chain and see how many times the lettuce transfer hands from the grower to the to the consumer, um, you know, it's not they're not gonna spend that much money and that much time doing transactions. So it was the just the volume, the the transactions per second. And the public ledgers had very restrictive timings. The private ledgers had other problems that basically come down to who do you trust? Because there's a permission structure. 
So if Walmart heads the supply chain and they require all their vendors to be on it, that is actually a benefit and a good use case for a private ledger. But as soon as Walmart and Amazon want to be on the same ledger, Amazon's not going to trust Walmart's management and permissions, and Walmart's not going to trust management permissions of Amazon. So they're just not going to work together. So those private ledgers just came to a zero screeching. They're not going to trust the other companies. Active Directory type of structure, at all. So the the and and it just they're just a showstopper. There, some of those were actually live in those those industries though. Um, incentive is also another thing where there the incentive was separated from the the operation, and you have this thing called mining, where people run all kinds of high powered equipment to mine cryptocurrency. So many of us have heard it. Many of us have tried, probably tried to do this in our basement. Basically created a worldwide lotto of trying to make a solution that anybody could do just by trying over and over and over again uh, a, a uh, hashing, which is just a, a, a um, mathematical algorithm that they're running over and over and over again to try to get a solution. Um, all, that, all that energy that was made by uh, used by all the computers doing mining all the hardware that was bought by everybody uh, to do this is all used in the process of making the transaction. So we're taking gold that we mine out of the earth, taking coal that we mine out of the earth, we're putting them together using energy, running our computer, using rare earths to make our computers, everything to make our systems. Once the block is made on the blockchain, the miner's done and they're on to the next block. It doesn't support the actual blockchain usage over time and the data that's already out there. They're always just working on the front, the, the head of the blockchain. So there, there's kind of what's a mismatch. And that was another big area is how do you align the incentive with blockchain instead of wasted energy up front and nothing, no incentive for maintaining a ledger? How do you turn it around and say no incentive up front, but the incentives for maintaining the ledger? That was an, one of the other identified uh, problems that that was addressed um other ones like lack of support for offline how you know you have if, if you're offline you're out how do you support being able to come in and come out um and uh the growth in size so ledgers keep growing it's like a log book how fat does your log book get before you quit going back and looking at the first pages um and you know right now some of the the big ones out the, the big blockchains out there are you know 12 plus terabytes. And if you want to operate a server that does transactions for people, storing the data and, and using the, the transactions, you have to have a, an enterprise system. You can't do it at home anymore. And they're all getting to that point. And the problem is not that they're getting big, but there's no thought process for how to cut the bottom of the book off. It just keeps growing. and um, so the initial ones, you know, when when it was the first two or three years and there was only, you know, a couple, you know, a half a gigabyte was no problem. But now that it's gone on and people have come in and uh, we have a decade and, you know, Bitcoin is over 400 gigabytes, Ethereum, like I said, over 12 terabytes and it's growing. The growth is exponential. So now the new data is exponential. The old data is still there. Eventually, in 100 years, these don't operate. There's 
nobody can afford to keep all the data for all that forever. And it's basically like having a copy of everybody's information all the time and everybody keeps it. It, it. You have to have a way to say, when do we cut the bottom off? When do we phase out the old transactions? So that was that was a, a big thing. The, uh, the size of those also were compounded with smart operations, putting smart contracts, which got really large. So how to address not putting the same contract. I mean, we do this in software, we do this everywhere. If something is the same, we don't write it a million times. We write the output of it and we keep the things that are the same somewhere else that you can prove them. And that was another piece is how do you optimize that as well as the first distributed ledgers. Everything was on the blockchain. We didn't have any privacy. Uh, privacy was in the obfuscation of many, many transactions out there and people not being being connected to their private keys. There was a little bit there with transaction privacy that was just because of the, the, the magnitude of, of uh, challenging details. But all the data on there, anybody could look at, and that balance um, were being able to have privacy, um, have security of transactions at the station, but privacy. So those areas were, you know, where, where we started looking at ledgers and how do you solve at least provide something that can scale and solve those problems. Yeah, it sounds like you guys, there's a whole lot of research that's gone into aspects of understanding pieces of some of the past legacy, we'll say blockchains, um, like Bitcoin uh, and Ethereum, where they they come up and had some uh, stumbling blocks and some limitations. So uh, it sounds like the research that you're doing actually transposes beyond that and and you've you found really good solutions to not only incorporate privacy but also the integrity of trust that applies to the way blockchain can be used, especially when it comes to transactions. Yeah. So <clears throat> a lot of good stuff going on there. Um cutting into the trust reliance consensus a little bit here. I want to get into that just a little bit. We've only got a handful of minutes left in this uh podcast for us. Um and Talk a little bit about the, the relevance of, of how trust relevant consensus works among the, uh, the actual system, the ecosystem like this one. Yeah. So, you know, the trust reliance, as you, as you, you kind of worded it, would be we all know what a credit score is. We know that our transactions, our interactions with banking, with whatever, uh, with our, our um, life and purchases and, and creditors, have a number that says how well we behaved, how well we can be trusted. So that's a bank or a lender or a somebody giving you credit can look at you from a high level without knowing you and know whether you're worth giving money to or taking a risk on to lend money to so that they can scale their operations to people they don't know personally or they don't have a track record with. Trust is literally a similar type of principle where we can keep trust level of how well people operate and use that as their reliance on from other people but also the higher their trust score the more value they have at participation the more value to them comes back out of it so if i'm mining or getting tokens in cryptocurrency everybody's the same they come out with proof of stake in some of them that says, hey, the people with the most currency have the most 
value. So we're, we look at trust as the people who have participated the most actively and done the right behavior over time have the highest value. And it's a reliance on trust to, to show how what you get out of it is what you're trusted by the others in the system into it with an algorithm that keeps track of trust score as well as algorithms to keep track of how well your operations can be trusted by your consumer base. So kind of two tiers with that. Yeah, it sounds like the governance and the, the uh, administrative controls, basically we've woven that into the algorithms and census for the trust relevance. Um, and it sounds like the, the element for that is kind of streamlined the whole way the method towards a way this this thing gets drive its scalability. Yeah. Uh, which then alludes to lower administrative costs. So uh, certainly something that uh, it sounds like really thought-provoking concept that you found solutions to. So um of course we're running out of time here. Um and uh, a couple of things for you. We we always appreciate you know you breaking down some of these things that you've uh, managed to get into and research and come up with. And the, the solution you've got is, it sounds like it, it'll, once it takes off, it's just it's just a matter of time before it grows enough to kind of run its own show. And the ability and its, its design to actually be versatile in a lot of different ways. So, um, any last moment or minute? We got, we got like one minute on the clock. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. so, yeah, it's kind of, you know, everything we, we keep talking about, the capabilities, the thing, the the designs, what we put into it, the administrative kind of process of pulling it together. But the main thought process was to give something over to everybody, to make publicly available application interfaces that everybody can design on top of. Just like the internet, everybody can use it. It's, it's now become part of our society. Looking at a trust infrastructure, that eventually rolls out to everybody. And the the you know, we're at late stages of the base pieces of it at this point. And we'd love, you know, people to come in and support with it. We have open source projects and community source projects that people can get on, involved with. Uh, and just, you know, I think I'm excited about it because I've been deep into it for many years, but I see other people that finally get the picture like, wow, this can be used in so many ways by so many people for everybody. It's almost like a gift we can give to, to the world that this now capability to trust people in a digital sense will be available in the future. Yeah, I think it's to know the digital transformation, the way it's being used. I think this is a must. Something needs to be done because we're looking at exclusions like privacy issues, things of that nature across the board, especially the more we use the digital transformation the information venue. So yeah. thank you, Dr. Brog, and we appreciate you coming on and sharing your evaluation and your research there with us. Um, that's it for us today on New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery. Hope everybody stays safe uh, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. BlockFrame technology offers next generation blockchain managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. 
deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at newcyberfrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.